with Long Island Local News on WLIWFM this December 14th, 2022. I'm Gianna Volpe. A Suffolk County jury convicted a Hampton Bays man yesterday in the murder of a romantic rival he planned to rob after learning the man had contacted his girlfriend. The Suffolk County District Attorney's Office said Grant Parpan reports on Newsday.com that Alcides Lopez Cambara, 42, was found guilty of second-degree murder in the 2020 death of 34-year-old Marco Grisales of East Hampton following a trial before state Supreme Court Justice Anthony Semt in Riverhead. Quote, the defendant and his accomplices senselessly and brutally murdered the victim on his birthday. Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney said of Lopez Cambara and three others who helped him with his plan to rob Grisales. Lopez Cambara, who was also convicted of first-degree robbery, is facing 25 years to life in prison at his sentencing January 13. His accomplices will be sentenced at a later date. In other news, an alarming number of cold, stunned sea turtles are turning up along the coast, with 36 hypothermic sea turtles appearing in shallow areas across eastern Long Island since mid-November. Quote, turtles are missing their cues to head south. That's New York Marine Rescue Center's program director, Maxine Montello, who continued, over recent years, there is less of a transition between summer into winter, which causes marine life to become confused. These sudden shifts to cold weather in the past couple of weeks cause the turtles to become weak and float to the surface, where they are then pushed into the shore by prevailing winds. Lily Parnell in the Suffolk Times reports that cold stunning is a hypothermic reaction marine reptiles experience when exposed to prolonged periods in cold water. Most commonly seen in sea turtle populations along the northwest Atlantic, the phenomenon weakens the reptiles until they become inactive. As a result, they can become malnourished, buoyant, and critically injured. If not rescued quickly, death is highly probable. New York Marine Rescue Center, located in Riverhead, notes education as the most important thing when it comes to saving marine wildlife. Classes to train volunteers and beachgoers on how to patrol the beaches are held often. Referred to by NYMRC as citizen scientists, the organization said long-term volunteers participating in the training have made a significant impact on saving turtles. Quote, because more people are out there knowing what to look for, the more turtles are called in. One trained patroller found eight turtles already this season. Ms. Montello told the Suffolk Times, the cold sun season lasts about six to eight weeks, beginning early November to mid-January upon finding a turtle reported immediately, even if it appears to already be deceased, experts said. If you come across a sea turtle during this cold stun season, please immediately call NYMRC's 24-hour stranding hotline. I'll give you a moment if you need to safely pull over to put this in your notes. 631-369-9829. Again, that's 631-369-9829. And finally, Elizabeth Hanley had expected an organized campaign against the Peconic Bay Community Housing Fund referendum. But as Community Housing Board Chair for Shelter Island, she didn't foresee that resistance to the ballot proposition, which recently passed in the town by a narrow margin, would be centered there. Joe Workmeister reports on Newsday.com that Hanley 45 also said she certainly didn't expect a death threat because of her work to pass the affordable housing measure. It came in the mail on Halloween about a week before Election Day. 
Quote, I wasn't surprised that there were folks who were not for it, but I was surprised by the venom, said Hanley, who also uh, was the treasurer of a political action committee that worked to pass the referendum in four of the East End towns. It was not on the ballot in Riverhead. The referendum passed by a wide margin last month in East Hampton, Southampton, and South Holt towns. It will levy a half percent tax on most real estate transfers and create a new revenue source for towns to address the affordable housing crisis here on the East End, where real estate costs have continued to surge. But on Shelter Island, where a fierce debate unfolded over months during board meetings, in forums and on the pages of the community newspaper, the vote tally was so close it required a manual recount. The measure officially passed on December 2nd, 934 votes to 919. The opposition cited concerns about high-density housing, how development could strain Shelter Island's water supply, the effect on the preservation of open space, and how a growing population could drain municipal services. New York State Assembly person Fred W. Thiel Jr., the Democrat of Sag Harbor, who introduced the bill that led to the referendum, credited Hanley for bringing in the needed votes on Shelter Island. Reading the weather in East Hampton in honor of our next guest, Amy Turner, joining us in WLIWFM Studio 51 at the bottom of this hour to discuss her memoir on the ledge, looking like a sunny Wednesday with a high near 39 degrees, wind chill values between 20 and 30, northwest wind 16 to 18 miles per hour, gusts as high as 30 miles per hour, mostly clear tonight with a steady temperature around 34 degrees. North wind, 7 to 13 miles per hour, gusts as high as 23. Right now, it's 30 degrees, and we're right smack dab in the middle of some Christmas music. We've got uh, Leslie Odom Jr.'s cover of Christmas from uh, The Who's rock opera, Tommy, a track I love, and I was very surprised to hear the cover. Excited to share it with you. Elvis Presley's classic Blue Christmas on deck after that, before Stevie Wonder's Someday at Christmas, which is a track I am loving. But first, the queen of Christmas tunes, Mariah Carey, with her Christmas Baby Please Come Home here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
a perfect track to lead into our next segment that's christmas from uh the who's rock opera tommy which tells the story of a, a young man who is deaf mute and blind as a result of witnessing uh, either his mom killing his dad or his stepdad or maybe the father killing the i don't know there's there's patricide in any case and um he he is miraculously cured, and then he becomes uh, a religious icon, and you know that doesn't last forever. But certainly, a story of of hope through in, incredible trauma, which is certainly uh, part of this of the subject of Amy Turner's memoir on the ledge, uh, welcoming Amy finally to WLIWFM Studio Fifty One. Uh, for the Wednesday Wisdom segment, underwritten by LTV Studios, a beautifully written memoir, and of course, instantly heartbreaking, as the prologue tells the story of of two uh, two traumas, two suicide attempts by uh, her father, in fact. And I'd love to start, Amy, by talking about the relationship between trauma, uh, post-traumatic stress, rather, and hypervigilance, because though you were so young, four, four-ish, at the time your father nearly leapt to his death, you still managed to hone in on and internalize the tension in your home 
and come through the other end uh, sort of a watchdog against uh, the invisible foe that was uh, your father's depression? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I should say, uh, thankfully for our family and my father, uh, he was hospitalized for a year and got help and ended up living, ended up living a long, living a long life. But that said, you know, he was hospitalized for a year afterward when I was four and a half, and I was not aware of why suddenly my father disappeared. So of course there was initial, you know, abandonment issues and. When he came back, the whole incident was kept secret from uh, the three young, my two brothers and I, the younger children. And I didn't know why he'd gone or what was wrong, but there was always the message not to get him upset, not to get him angry, not to get him mad. And I didn't know why, but even then I could feel it you had feel it. life and death consequences. And, and, it, and you describe it as trapdoors. You know, that you sensed trapdoors everywhere. For me, I feel like contending with uh, mental illness is kind of like walking through a minefield, which is the same sort of idea. Exactly. So when you have that constant warning, uh, you're constantly on the lookout. You're hy- you become hypervigilant. Am I doing something wrong? Is right. there a shift in his uh, eyes? Are they darkening? Did I? Am I too loud? So you're constantly watching yourself constantly watching other people, watching for the invisible trapdoors. Is, is there a lesson in this? Do you look back uh, and and wonder if maybe a conversation, because I think that there is like uh, some parents, they want to uh, sanitize and, and um, not worry kids and whatnot. But do you think that some sort of conversation about these things might have helped things? Well, I think so. And, and let me preface this by saying, I'm I'm not a therapist, so mm. I'm certainly not giving it, uh, advice. And um, but I, I am a parent, and I do think that for children, secrets can be really damaging because, as you just said, and as I was explaining, you do sense the tension. You know something's wrong. So children will just fill it in right. with their own story. And for me, it was oh, this is something to do with life and death. I mean, obviously, at four or even maybe nine or 11, you couldn't be giving the details of what happened with my father. But to start a conversation of you're safe, your your father's safe, um, he's maybe a little sad, and he's seeing a doctor, and you're fine, and everything will be okay, that kind of establishing some security and safety so that the child isn't feeling uh, constantly hypervigilant and afraid that whatever they do may cause, have terribly serious consequences. And then I, I think, frankly, um, if it were me as a parent, I would probably end up talking to a professional about how do you gradually evolve the conversation as the child gets older. Now, there, there are so many uh, different uh, elements of, of your story and what I loved is that you you flip between uh, periods mm. in your life. You talk about uh, obviously uh, tragically, but well, actually not even because you were very lucky. Yes, you, you were hit by a truck in East Hampton as an adult, um, and and it, so you had a near death experience and were very very uh, luckily not dead. <laughs> uh, many many things went well, but. 
obviously a, a near-death experience, no matter what, has an immense effect on a, a person. I was wondering if you might just read this paragraph. I have it. It's on page nine. And just share that, and then I, I would love to talk about, about it. Uh, sure, I'd be delighted to. Others might see their past flash by in similar situations, but I flipped forward through future family photographs and events that had yet to pass, graduations, weddings, wives, grandchildren. But it was too hard to keep making it up. And when the pictures faded, I felt the urge to scream. I would scream myself back into this life, scream so Matt and Peter, my sons, could hear me, scream that I loved them, that I'd made so many mistakes, that I was so, so sorry, that I wished I'd been a better mother. But I couldn't scream. I couldn't even breathe. The plastic-covered clothes I'd been carrying as I left the dry cleaners were covering my face. For a second, I noted the irony. I'd just been hit by a truck, but I was going to die suffocating on my dry cleaning. That is just one <laughs> of the many moments. So poignant, so many uh, deeply uh, human uh, moments, and, and really moments that you were so honest in this memoir mm. to like i don't know if i would call it brutal honesty or or brave honesty uh you know you really really uh, share the good bad and the ugly mm -hmm. and and the complications of character that uh can be your neighbor or your mother uh, can you talk a little bit about about that process about how you it got the courage to share this stuff. Is your is your mother with us? Uh, no, and I I will say, um, both my parents had passed away okay. by the time I wrote this memoir. So I'm sure it would have been more difficult uh, with them being alive. Although even though they were had passed, I I did feel them looking over my shoulder, wondering mm -hmm. how they would feel about this. But my father's. Um, my father's advice to all of us was always, he would always say, dig deep. Whatever mm -hmm. it is, get to the bottom of it. And having grown up with a father who had... A writer, and well, also a writer himself. Right? Uh, yes, and a, a struggling uh, writer. He was quite blocked. But I always felt I, I needed to try to get to the bottom of things because... I, I didn't want to end up with any kind of psych, unresolved psychological issues. So I'd had a lot of psychotherapy, and I'm a great proponent of it. I'm so glad I did. But it was not until this shocking random accident with the truck where I didn't have any broken bones, amazingly, or yes. internal injuries. But in the recovery process, as I was uh, receiving body somatic therapies, Somehow it reached a, a level of my nervous system where this, where the trauma of the truck, but also I realized the trauma of my father it had been buried. Yes, and it, you know it's so interesting because uh, the the fact that you dug deep, mm. in some ways, I wonder if that is like metaphorically sort of uh, it's the point that your father probably wanted to get to but just couldn't bring himself to put onto the, because these are, uh, some of the things that you share are very hard, even when it comes to looking at yourself. Mm. For example, one of the reasons why Amy did not have any injuries was because of a, a sort of a moment of surrender. You didn't tense when the truck mm. hit you. 
So, uh, you know, that was something that uh, getting that down on the page, you, you say yeah. you felt like a bad mom because that means you were letting go of, of, of your being, being a mom, yeah. being, being here. Yes, yes. And uh, I just, uh, I, I wanted to say one of the dovetails that was very poignant for me was in your recovery, you were trying immediately so hard mm. to get past this near-death experience because it triggered for you your father and and his struggle and you were so determined not to be seen as sick as incapacitated in some way can you talk a little bit about more about that yes absolutely you're absolutely right and um i was so afraid of admitting any kind of weakness or pain or any kind of incapacity from the accident because which isn't a very healthy response because clearly I needed to be taking care of myself and avoiding certain activities and so forth. But for me, it it triggered those very deep-seated feelings of fear, first of all, fear of being sick. But I think, too, and what I uncover in the process of what I describe in the memoir is that the, the ultimate fear of vulnerability, right. that I just couldn't go there or admit it because it felt so dire. It felt like it could be life or death as it could have been with my father as he faced his own vulnerability. So finally, there's, there are a few things that make you feel more vulnerable than staring into the windshield of a pickup truck. Um, or, or being pinned underneath, <laughs> underneath one. Pinned underneath. I mean, I was desperate to avoid it. I was. But isn't it isn't it interesting how very weirdly you almost needed something that uh, striking to happen to you to lead you on the path of even knowing that you needed uh, healing to begin with. Exactly. And believe me, I don't recommend that no, anyone not, get do, hit by a truck. Do, do not try this at home. <laughs> exactly. There are other ways yes, uh, to uh, experience some kind of evolution and transformation. But I will say that it was this one that, came that experience yes. was a trigger. And if I look back, of course, I'd rather not have been hit by a truck. Right. But it ended up giving me so many gifts um, in a way. I, and... Uh, I'm grateful, obviously, I'm very grateful for those gifts. Um, and, you know, I, there was a, a piece um, where you're talking about what happens uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of a near-death experience, which is this overwhelming gratitude, this, mm. this recognition that to breathe is a gift, and, you know, this, this uh, oh, I, you know, I, I just want to love all of mm -hmm. these things. I'm curious if you had the same experience that, that I did, which is that uh, the surprise afterward, when you find out that that is not a moment that stays with you, mm. but one that you continually need to work to find and uncover. Your, Gratitude is work. Yes. You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, my book really, although there's some dark topics, as you could tell, there's some humor in it, and it's also, you know, very hopeful. Um, but, uh, and the ending, of course, we would call a happy ending, but I hope I didn't tie it up too, too neatly in a bow, because we're never finished with the work we do. Amen. And we need 
to be constant, you know, constant reminders of the gratitude for every, you know, for, for breathing, for even the things we take for granted. And so, yes, I have to keep, um, keep reminding myself, keep working on that. But it is, um, it's that experience is a memory, but it's also a sense experience. Mm -hmm. So if I recall it, I can feel it in my body. And sometimes it's a really good thing for me to do because I think, oh yes, this is is the fundamental um, value. This is life and gosh, am I grateful to have it. If there's one thing that has made the biggest difference for me internally and outside as far as as, uh, my life journey is concerned, it is uh, the daily uh, practice of making a gratitude list. Mm-hmm. If you don't already do it out there, consider it. it. You know, it doesn't take long, five minutes to write maybe three things. And it's not always easy. Uh, some and, and on those days, if you're struggling to make a list, there's some really great ones like a roof over your head if you have one, uh, breath in your lungs, and, uh, you know, fresh, fresh water to drink. That's always a good one. Uh, Amy, so grateful for On the Ledge. I know you don't have any signings coming up immediately, but we are entering the holiday season. If you want to get a great local memoir, a, a great read through the slow season, uh, ask your local bookstore if they can order it for you, if they don't they- already on, have it on the shelves. On the ledge, I mentioned uh, a book place in Riverhead. There's many, many lovely Bookhampton. Um, there's lots of uh, Southampton re- books, Bookhampton yeah, Canios and Sag Harbor. I'm trying to think of there's another Canios. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's another one in Sag Harbor as well. Yeah, Sag Harbor Books, yes. which is also the same as Southampton Books. I feel like there's another one, though. Man, Sag Harbor, are you like incredibly rich with bookstores. <laughs> well, it is. That's a good that's a good thing to the be. The home of great great writers and um the uh, I will have if, I know you have some listeners in Connecticut. I do yes. have a um, an event in New Haven, oh. which is where the event where yes, the let where, the, the, where the prologue where the story yes, begins. Taft Hotel, your New Haven residents will um recognize that name. So that's in January and uh these uh, events and so forth are on my website, okay. amyturnerauthor.com. Amy I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Amy Turner. This is, where are we on the playlist? I don't even know. I think we are at Leslie Odom Jr. Christmas. No, we just we just listened. That was the cover from The Who um, rock opera, uh, Tommy. Uh, This is Elvis Presley, the very classic Blue Christmas, and you just heard the Wednesday Wisdom segment underwritten by LTV Studios right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Won't be the same, dear, if you're not here with me. And when the blue 
A nice, neat 10-year jump forward in time from Elvis Presley's Blue Christmas to Stevie Wonder's Someday at Christmas. And if Mariah Carey is a Christmas song queen, I mentioned 
uh, or I said that because uh, I think all I want for Christmas is has hit the top of the Billboard charts again. Um, then the king might be Michael Bublé. This is his cover. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, uh, followed by a beginning take four of um, the Beatles or Ringo Starr's Don't Pass Me By, take seven on that one from the White Album. Uh, Magdalena Bay at the beginning on deck after that. And then I might hop over some tracks to play Ella Fitzgerald and the Ink Spots version of I'm Beginning to See the Light. I'm Gianna Volpe. Uh, This is Michael Buble. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. 19 and a half minutes before the NPR news break at the top of the hour and the end of this edition of the Heart of the East End. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look at the five and ten It's glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes that glow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door A pair of hop-along boots And a pistol that shoots Is the wish of Barney and Ben Dolls that'll talk and will go for a walk Is the hope of Janice and Jen And Mom and Dad can hardly wait For school to start again It's beginning to look a lot Like Christmas Everywhere you go There's a tree in the Grand Hotel One in the park as well It's the sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Soon the bells will start And the thing that'll make them ring Is the carol that you sing right within your heart It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door Sure it's 
Christmas once a more. This is introduction to Ringo's Don't Pass Me By. Take four. I wonder 
Music from all decades and genres, interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of WLIWFM and PR Radio. A butterfly floating in amber.
little dance party track for the listener supporters of the Heart of the East End. Magdalena Bay's The Beginning from the Mercurial World Record of 2021. Incidentally, tucked into the end of today's program, I do want to say a big thank you to our guests who joined us this morning, East End Food Institute's Kate Fulham, also her birthday amid their farmed community campaign. They're looking to raise 500000 I believe, and they are um, uh, just at the halfway mark, as we spoke to Kate about this morning, eastendfood.org, for more information about that, uh, as well as author Amy Turner, amyturnerauthor.com. You can find out more about her memoir, On the Ledge. She's going to be having a reading in New Haven Next month, speaking of authors, um, we do have our end-of-year fun drive coming up uh, starting next week. And Antoinette Trulio-Martin, who was on with us recently about her memoir, or discussing her memoir about surviving breast cancer, excuse me, she's got a brand new book out, The Wishes of Sisters and Strangers. Uh, It's going to complete her Becoming America's Stories Trilogy. She's going to have a book launch party trivia night tomorrow at 7 p.m. via Zoom. So information there. Let's see if I can find her website. And you might be able to to get the link of uh, The Wishes of Sisters. And uh, you can find it on barnesandnoble.com. Apparently that's what links from her uh, email address. I'm Gianna Volpe, and I am so grateful to you for being with us. We're going to lead you into the NPR news break with a little Ella Fitzgerald and the ink spots. Uh, Steven Sanchez on deck after that. You, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Oh, hey, thank you to our underwriters, Robert James Salon and LTV Studios. I never cared much for moonlit skies. I never winked back at fireflies. But now that the stars are in your eyes, I'm beginning to see the light. I never went in for afterglow or candlelight on the mistletoe. But now when you turn the lamp down low, I'm beginning to see the light. Used to ramble through the park, shadow boxing in the dark. Then you came and caused a spark that's a four-alarm fire now. I never made love by lantern shine. I never saw rainbows in my wine. But now that your lips are burning mine, I'm beginning to see the light. I never cared much for moonlit skies. I never winked back at fireflies. But now that the stars are in your eyes, I'm beginning to see the light. I never went in for afterglow or candlelight on the mistletoe. But now when you turn the lamp down low, Used to ramble through the park 
shadow boxing in the dark then you came and caused a spark that's a four alarm fire now i never made love by lantern shine i never saw rainbows in my wine but now that your lips are burning mine i'm beginning to see the light fall Beginning to see the light fall. Beginning to see the light. Now that your lips there, you're burning on mine. I'm beginning to see the light. Before the morning came down the fire escape, she ran wild and wild. In my heart, a burning flame. I thought it couldn't change her mind and mine. Love was such a scary thing. You didn't wanna fall, didn't want you at all. Now I'm waiting by a cold window till the sun has gone. Such a scary thing 